All right. So far, in Hebrews 11, we've been seeing these examples of true faith in Christ. And that sounds funny to some because these are all Old Testament people. Right? Christ hadn't even been born yet. Not for a long time, actually. But that's really the author's point. He's been telling them all along that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. All these things God's people had been hearing and believing and looking forward to and writing songs about and prophesying about, Christ is that Messiah. He's the one all of that pointed to. That's where this is all headed. And that's what he's, that's what he's shown, him, shown his audience, that Christ is the prophet. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice that alone can atone for sin, actually atone for sin. He is the promise that was promised all the way back in the garden. When mankind fell into sin and misery and creation right along with him, Christ is the hope of mankind and God's people have faith in him. That means true faith in God, saving faith, the kind of faith God calls faith. And that the author of Hebrews is trying to convince these people they must have to endure to the end is faith in Christ alone. Not in themselves. Not in their circumstances. Not even in all those things that pointed to Christ, but in Christ himself. And these people from the Old Testament, they had it. They had that faith. They didn't have all the details yet, of course. All the lines weren't colored in yet, and they still had faith. That's the point. That's what the author wants these people, Hebrews is preached to, to see. These people that, that the book of Hebrews is for are living at a time when they're not waiting on the Messiah to come anymore. He had already come. For them, it hadn't been all that long ago that Christ had come, and not only come, but had lived and taught and performed miracles, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. So how much more should these people believe? What all of these people from the Old Testament listed here in chapter 11 were looking forward to, these people could now look back and say, wow, it's all true. So believe, have faith, stay the course, the author says. God has given us every reason to press on, to endure to the end, and to be encouraged as we do. Everything he said would happen has happened. And so anything he has told us that is going to happen that hasn't happened yet, we can trust that it will. It will, because God is faithful. Have faith, keep faith, keep going. It will be worth it. So let's read Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 20 and 21. Hear now the words of the one true and living God. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Let's pray. Lord, I pray as I begin to preach this morning that you would move me out of the way and all that would be remembered this morning is what each person needs to see Christ more clearly and to trust in him more. 
Father, I confess I am more than just limited. I'm useless without the Holy Spirit carrying me and carrying your word to your hearers. So, Lord, I pray you feed your sheep. Be pleased to use me to do it. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're taking Isaac and Jacob together this morning because the thing the author points out about their faith has something in common, these, these uh, pronouncing of blessings at the end of their lives. And one thing to note here as we start out right away is that after we pass Abraham and Sarah in this list, we're looking at all the descendants of Abraham that God promised to him. Do you realize that? That's what's left here. As we continue to look at these names, we're seeing that original promise to Abraham being delivered. God established his covenant with Abraham. He promised that he would make uh, him a father of nations, that his generations would be blessed and be a blessing, and the list just keeps going on. That's something to catch. And now I know someone's going to look at that list and they're going to be like, Rahab wouldn't have descended Abraham. You know, I know somebody's going to call me out on that. Rahab wasn't a descendant of Abraham. We'll get to Rahab, but yes, she was. Because Abraham is called the father of all those who believe, Romans 4. It has always been that way. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, according to the promise, Galatians 3. It's those who belong to God by faith in the Son that are those descendants promised to Abraham, the ones God calls his own and that are a blessing to the world. So we'll get to Rahab, but let's look at Isaac and Jacob this morning. Here's the main idea. God gives what God requires. If what he requires of us is faith, he must do it, and he does. And we know that. We know if we read our Bibles, we know that even faith itself is a gift of God. It's not something that we just muster up in ourselves. Whatever he requires of us to have faith, he supplies. And we find that true in the lives of Isaac and Jacob, who are commended here for their faith. So getting into this now, when Abraham died, all right, the Lord confirms for Isaac the covenant that he made to his father. To you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. God tells Isaac, everything I said would happen for Abraham, I will do. And you're a part of what I said I would do. Your very existence, the very fact that I... I, I I brought you forth from your mother's barren womb as a testimony to my faithfulness to keep this promise. So as sure as you're standing here, you can be sure I will continue to bless you and prosper you and give to you and your descendants after you all that I have promised to your father Abraham. But what does Isaac do? He ignores the prophecy that God gives him concerning Jacob and Jacob being the chosen one that God would continue bringing about his plans through. That turns out to be a mess, by the way. So let's look at some of that. Let's look at Genesis chapter 25. Look at verses uh, 19 through 28 there. Genesis chapter 25. 
We've said, haven't we, as we're going through Hebrews 11, as we look at these people, we want to take the time to figure out what, what happened back then, what the author's referring to, what it is we're supposed to be connecting with as, as audiences. So Genesis chapter 25, beginning at verse 19 here, it says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within, from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Let's keep reading there. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So great. Uh, God has clearly spoken. He's chosen the younger to be the continuation of his promise. But Isaac prefers Esau, the firstborn. And what's worse is Rebekah prefers Jacob. Not on the same page here at all. And what happens next in verses 29 through 34 is Esau, if you remember, foolishly sells his birthright, being the firstborn, for a bowl of stew. He's not taking into account what he's learned and what he's been taught by his father about their family and God's plan for them. He's not regarding any of that at all. He's like, who cares? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Give me some of that red stuff, he says. Have all my blessings. I'm, they're no, no use to me. I don't believe in all that. And Jacob gladly swindles him out of all of it. And then look, we see that uh, Rebecca, his mom, mom's in cahoots with him. You look a little further into chapter 27, Isaac's on his way out. He's going blind. He's, uh, his life's fading from him. And he calls Esau to go into the field and run him up some game so that he can have one last good meal and then bless him and die. Rebecca hops to, goes and tells Jacob right away, here, dress up like your brother. The old man's blind anyway, he won't be able to tell. And then you'll get his blessing. Jacob's like, good playing, mama. And then you start to get the idea Isaac's onto them. Jacob flat out lies. Read with me uh, Genesis 27, if you're still there. Genesis 27, uh, verse 18. So he went into his father and said, this is Jacob now. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? 
He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Now that's actually true, even though he meant for it to be a lie. It ends up being true. God did grant him success. He does get the blessing. And then look at verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Lie again. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Now look, Jacob has deceived all of his father's senses. He can't see so well. So he hears his voice. He doesn't sound like Esau, but Jacob says, no, no, it's me. It's me, it's Esau. And he says, come here so I, can, so I can feel you. And Jacob's got something on, some sort of garment that's hairy, so he feels like his brother. And then Isaac says, let me give you a sniff. Come close so I can smell you. Jacob's wearing Esau's clothes, so he smells like him. So two things are pretty evident here. Jacob wants this blessing real bad, and God wants him to have it too. God gives what God requires. Isaac smelled the smell of his garment and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And that's it. That's the blessing. That's the blessing Isaac knew God gave to his father Abraham that he, that, that he handed down to him and that he was supposed to hand on to Jacob, but he intended to hand it to Esau instead. God wanted him to have the blessing because he deserved it. No. Clearly, He's not done anything worthy of it. But God has ordained it, and so it will come to pass. And so he gets the blessing. Now, then Esau comes back, like right after this, okay? Drama. He says, here's the food you wanted, Dad. I have that blessing now, please. Isaac says, who are you? Esau says, it's me, Esau, your firstborn. It says there in Genesis 27, verse 33, Isaac trembled very violently. And he tells Esau that Jacob got his blessing. Esau says, undo it. Bless me also. Like, fix it. But Isaac, in a very real sense, knew there's no undoing what God has ordained. Isaac knew that by faith. The blessing he gave Jacob was intended for Jacob, by God. That was God's will. Isaac was sure of it now, and even if he had ignored it before. That's no doubt what the author has in mind when he says that Isaac, by faith, invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. 
God gives what God requires. Does your faith ever take a little dip like that? Have you ever been sure God was leading you in one direction and then you either just forgot or just ignored it? Went your own way for a while instead? God snatches you back up though, doesn't he? Are you faithful to do that? He snatches you right back up. And then you remember, and when you remember back to what you've been shown, the light that you've been shown, your faith is strengthened and renewed. You know, one thing that's worth noting here is that Rebecca was barren just like Sarah was. You caught that, right? But something that's cool and indicative of Isaac's faith in the beginning, right, when it was strong, was that he took what was true about his wife, her barrenness, and he took what he knew was true about God, that he had made promises concerning him, and he prayed with his wife for a son. They didn't immediately resort to concubinage. We've seen that before. Saw that trick with Abraham. They didn't go looking for a surrogate for the child. They knew God had promised them. They trusted God and they prayed to God. They entreated him. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? Entreating God for what he's already promised. That's what faith looks like. Believing the promises of God so much that we continue to ask for them. Continue to petition him. Here's what's fun too. Isaac prays for his wife in front of his wife. You don't see that in the English. It's there in the Hebrew. He prays for his wife in front of his wife. Isaac, knowing what God had promised, knowing his wife's condition, prayed to God in front of his wife for his wife, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah conceived. And here's something worth noting, husbands. Later, when the children struggled within her, like we read, okay, there was something going on. She's like, what's going on? What's wrong with me? Why is this happening to me? That's in Genesis 25. She became concerned. You know, what's going on? What's happening? What'd she do? She went and inquired of the Lord. That's the first thing she did. That's what she had learned to do in times like these. And where'd she get that idea? She'd seen that before. She's seen what's possible as a result. She's seen her husband go before God in prayer, and she's seen God answer. She's seen faith in action. She's seen the man leading her, leading her right to God. That's when Isaac's faith was strong. So Isaac's best and shiniest moments weren't when he favored Esau the way that he did and ignored God's prophecy about what he was going to do through Jacob. That caused problems. But get this, look how it turns out. Don't miss this. The author of Hebrews focuses not on the sins and the shortcomings and the failures of everyone involved in this messed up dysfunctional family drama, but on the faith of Isaac. That should encourage us. That we don't have to despair that God's grace has departed from us because we've failed. We're going to fail. Failure shouldn't, shouldn't be uh, the goal. We shouldn't get comfortable in our failings. We should strive to trust God more and to deny sin and to grow in, in holiness and godliness. But we will stumble and fall and trip and fail. And we'll lack trust at times and faith and confidence in God's promises. But look, God gives what God requires. True faith. 
like we're instructed to have, it's not perfect faith. We wouldn't have to rely on God if it was. It wouldn't be faith if it was. If when we get saved, we're just programmed for perfect obedience and complete unwavering trust and hardwired to run a straight line all the way to the end with no setbacks and no curveballs, no learning curves. What do we need faith for? But we do. We need faith. And God blesses his faithful ones. He gives what he requires. He is patient and he is long-suffering with us when we don't get it. We call him our father. And he deals with us as a loving and patient father does. So we see true faith. So we're looking at these examples of it. It's not perfect faith. And you may say, well, you're lowering the bar. But no, the bar is high. The bar is way up here. And Christ has reached it. He's reached it for miserable failures. He's reached it for those who can't measure up, who don't measure up, who won't measure up. But we trust in the one who has measured up. He's met the perfect standard God requires, and he paid the price for us not measuring up. God has given what God requires. Perfect righteousness and full atonement for sin. And so we cling to Christ. We have faith in him and whatever we lack, he will supply because he is faithful even when we're not. He outdoes our undoing. Isn't that what he did with with Isaac? Didn't he outdo his undoing? Didn't Isaac nearly give away the blessing to the wrong one? Wasn't that what he was bent on doing? And didn't God step in and fix it and call back to mind his promise regarding Jacob? By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Things not yet seen that he trusted would happen, and he was sure they had been given to Jacob and that they couldn't be undone. He couldn't undo what God had done. We see the same kind of thing with Jacob that God gives what God requires. Where he has plans for his people, he requires faith of his people. And where faith is needed, it is granted. Jacob required faith, and God gave it to him. Jacob was a wily guy. First of all, as we just saw, he tricks his dad, right? Totally fools his dad into giving him... uh, the blessing, that was just the start. He ends up getting a taste of his own medicine, though, if you remember, right? He goes to his uncle Laban's, and uh, Laban tricks him into marrying his older daughter when he wanted the younger one. And he says, no problem, no sweat, work for me twice as long, and I'll give you the younger one, too. But then Jacob gets him back. He tricks his now father-in-law out of huge flocks of animals in order to make himself rich. So here's the thing. Jacob is the elect of God, the one who has promised, the one that God had chosen to continue his line through and to continue fulfilling the promise he had made with Abraham. But Jacob is trying to take blessing for himself through his own cunning and self-reliance. He's not relying on God to bring about the promised blessing in his life. He's scheming for it. And every time he has to run, he's always on the run, it seems. He's always having to go and cover his tracks. His dirty dealing is always catching up to him. But then in Genesis chapter 32, we read about him coming to the end of himself and to the beginning of something so much better. 
We see there he begins to walk with God, and he walks with a limp. Let's read about that real quick. Genesis chapter 32. Uh, flip over a few pages there if you're still in Genesis. Genesis chapter 32. Just to kind of set us up here, bring us into the moment. Uh, we'll, we'll start reading at verse 22, so if you can turn that up. But Jacob has uh, fled from Laban with all of his stuff, with his wives, with his 11 children so far. And now he gets word Esau is coming for him. All right, now let's read Genesis 32, 22 uh, through 32. Trying to find it. There it is. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. God gives what God requires. Jacob needed faith, and God gave it. In order for God to bring about a people through Jacob and to accomplish all he had planned for our redemption, mine and yours, Jacob required faith. He was going to have to start trusting God and continue trusting God. And the incident the author of Hebrews refers to when commending him for his faith here is his blessing of uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons, at the end of his life. You see there, Jacob adopts into the number of his own sons, the, these two boys, even though they were born of an Egyptian mother. He made them heads of their own tribes in the same way that he made his sons heads of their own tribes. And he praised God's blessing on them and prophesied over them that they should be blessed. Because he's seen what the Lord can do, and that election is God's own choosing. The Lord saves whom he wills. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Before Jacob was ever born, and despite all of his fa failures, God had a plan for him. And if God could save Jacob and give him a part of his blessing, surely he could include Ephraim and Manasseh. And it appeared that way to Jacob. And here's how Jacob goes out at the curtain call of his life, his swan song. He bows in worship over the head of his staff. Hebrews eleven twenty one. A posture of worship over the staff he'd relied on daily since he met the Lord and began to walk with a limp. 
a staff that reminded him of his infirmity and his utter reliance and dependence upon God and all the times that God came through for him. God requires faith of his people, and God gives what God requires. So have faith in Christ. Keep faith in Christ. God will supply you with all you need in order to bring about his purposes in you. And if you're, if you're struggling, if you're ever feeling like you're, you're losing your grip on him, listen to me, brothers and sisters. It happens, doesn't it? If you feel like you're losing your grip on him, be reminded he never loses his grip on you. Not ever. We let that truth, whether we're feeling it or not, we let that truth, that objective truth, believing the word of God, and, it, and it's true. And we allow that to encourage us all the more to keep our eyes fixed on him. To trust in him, to continue praying, to entreat him for what he has already promised, believing it is true and he is faithful to answer Let's pray. Lord God, your righteousness endures forever. Your wondrous works are to be remembered. And we've seen it here this morning as we've looked at Isaac and Jacob, the promises that you had made to Abraham coming to fruition through them, even when they weren't doing everything they were supposed to be doing, even when they doubted what you said. Lord, we've seen that in our own lives, your wondrous works. You've given us things to remember, to look back on, all the ways in which you've come through when we weren't feeling so sure. We thank you that you make weak faith strong. We praise you that you give what you require. You remember your covenant forever. You establish your people. You never let us go. So God, I pray that we here would be reminded of that truth this week, Lord. And may we be all the more encouraged and motivated to draw near to you. I ask in Christ's name, amen.